0: What's up, guys? Coach Jack here. Welcome to Operation Grit Box podcast, teaching you to live at high performance. This podcast is sponsored by Grit Box, delivering ultimate human performance to you in a convenient monthly box. That's exciting. That's good. And 10% of all revenue goes to help inner city athletes perform and live at high performance, starting with my CastleMont guys. Appreciate you. Okay, and we are on Operation Gritbox podcast with good friend and performance specialist, Mike Gerson. Mike, how are you today, kind sir? Good, man. How are you doing? How was your fourth? It was beautiful. Good times. How about yourself? Oh, man, it was a blast.
1: Yeah. You know, just good friends. A lot of my friends came back from just being away for years and years, decades, some of them. And we just had a, you know, good time catching up, talking sports, you know, and, and uh, talking about, you know, the dumb things we did growing up. And then
0: Mike is a performance coach who has uh, experience with professional baseball, experience with the military, and experience now as a kind of entrepreneur/CEO of his own uh, mental performance company Mind Gears and uh, Mike I wanted to have you on because you have a ton of practical experience in terms of the field and applying these mental skills and why they're important. And then also, I really admire how hard you go in terms of dissecting all the information out there in the performance industry and then being able to kind of distill what's really important and communicate it in a way where whoever you're teaching it to can really apply it. So I'm really excited to have you on today. Man, Thanks. I appreciate it. That's a nice intro there. Yeah, appreciate you. And then let's just start from the beginning. So a uh, little bit origin story. Who, what, where, when, and why? Where did you grow up? And are there any kind of moments in your childhood that kind of stand out and put you on your path?
1: Yeah, so kid of the 70s and 80s, you know, and and during those times, you know, we all just grew up uh, being super active. And besides playing multiple sports, I played a lot of baseball, a lot of basketball, a lot of football. You know, I just ran around, jumped around, strutted around, you know, the neighborhood, uh, making up games, playing free we were known as park rats and so we just lived in the park we we got there clocked in early played all day you know mom and dad had to drag us home Uh, after we had dinner you know we went to bed and slept of playing some more and then woke up and did it all over again so I kind of think of you know it's not a generation but there's like this four year period uh, maybe two years ahead two years behind me We were like the real last of the Sandlot kids, Um, you know, playing on dirt fields, being out every single day, um, just loving to be outside playing and being around friends and being competitive. And where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Alameda, California, uh, right next to Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco.
0: You played a variety of different sports growing up and baseball became number one for you. How did that kind of come about?
1: Yeah, I forget how many parks we have in Alameda, but there are a bunch. And every park has, let's say there's like this, you know, 10 parks. And every park has a couple of leaders and every park has, you know, summer baseball. And my father, you know, uh, you have to be five years old, but my father I was four. My father signed me up. <laughs> so, he, he fibbed on my age and, and there I was just, uh, you know, playing baseball at a very young age. In fact, my parents owned a restaurant in Oakland, California, and they just, you know, tell me stories of growing up and hitting lemons with a spatula and, and you know, everybody at the bar, you know, playing baseball with me. And so I, I just love. I fell in love with the sport. I love everything about it, and I still love it to this day.
0: That's awesome. And then you have a great story of when you were in high school. You were playing at a couple of different high schools in Alameda, and then you went and played for a year in Mexico City. Could you talk a little bit about that and how that came about?
1: Yeah. So every few years uh, in the Bay, there's a world tournament. I forget the year, but uh, Alameda hosted it. it. We played at San Leandro Ballpark. There was like ten teams from around the world that came to our our town, or you know, the Bay Area to play some uh, real competitive baseball. And so we had teams from Japan and Korea and Peru and two teams from Mexico. Um, we had a team from Canada, I think Australia. And so I missed the mark because I think the tournament was like every four years. And so the group just behind me, a year behind me, two years behind me, my, those friends got to play in it. And My father was a high school Spanish teacher. So he knew the language, he knew the game, he coached baseball, he coached basketball is really well known in our hometown so he was the director of uh, Mexico team the LDF the the Mexico City team and so, after about two and a half weeks of, like, getting to know these guys and just making really s- strong relationships, and, uh, you know, I had some nice bonds with uh, the coaches and the players, they asked me afterwards, you know, if I wanted to spend a year in Mexico City and, and just play ball, and they would host me uh, a couple of different, I stayed with two different families, and the program would just take me under this wing and make sure, you know, that I, I was okay, that I was safe, and getting to practices, and going to school, and, and just basically taking care of me. So, I just jumped. I said, wow, this is an amazing, wonderful, you know, rare opportunity. And so, I was in Mexico City for about 10, 11 months.
0: I don't know about connection here, but do you feel like because you spent so much time on your own outside when you were younger, just meeting new kids, competing with new kids, interacting with kids on the day-to-day, that that prepared you in some way to be able to to really jump at that opportunity when many 15, 16, 17-year-olds might be like, oh, this sounds good, but you know, I don't want to go ahead. I don't want to leave my comfort zone and see what this is about. It seems like it's just, I think it's pretty amazing that you're able to jump at something like that. And uh, you know, most 16-year-olds probably wouldn't have that mentality.
1: Right. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, just my father set it up nicely or where I felt safe, where I felt comfortable. You know, he spoke the language one summer, like in the seventies. And I think it was Guadalajara and spent three months over there. You know, he wrote me letters like, you know, every week and phone calls. I just trusted him so much. Uh, You know, he's my favorite dude on the planet, you know, besides my sons and daughters. Uh, Yeah. He helped me a lot just, uh, with any angst or anxiety I had about, going over there. And so I think he set the conditions for me to be successful over there.
0: And then what do you think your dad did to have for you to have such a deep level of trust with him?
1: He's just the man. I mean, he, um, you know, growing up, my parents, they just embrace everybody fact, uh, we always had somebody living with us. So my father coached me in basketball or from fourth grade to eighth grade. In fact, I was just, someone posted something on Facebook where our record from fourth grade to sixth grade, we were 40 and one. So every time my dad coached me in any sport, we were always a championship champions. And then he coached me in baseball all the way th- i was 18 years old but he just managed has a he's super smart has a huge heart um just loves people and will do anything for them and so we always had like my friends who came from like you know maybe a poor uh, lower ses social economic status or single parent family Uh, my dad was a father my mom a mother to a lot of kids from just different colors, races, you know, the different countries, we always had somebody living with us. So they definitely set the tone, the, you know, how can you not be moved and inspired by, you know, like living values in action, they just didn't say stuff, they, they were like role models. And so, you know, just watching how much people love my dad and still love my dad. Um, you know, that's, I guess that's where the trust and bond came from. You know, he's, he worked like three jobs, and I don't know how he found that time to coach. I don't know how he found the time when he wasn't coaching me to show up to games, but he loved sports and he's, he was, uh, you know, just like a leader in, in our community.
0: And then if there's one particular thing that stands out to you on why your youth teams were so successful with him leading, what would you say?
1: Yeah, my father was just an uh, exceptional leader. Kind of followed that saying that uh, leadership isn't a trumpet call to self-importance, it's the opportunity to serve. So he was a real servant leader. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about, uh, you know, his self-esteem or looking good. It was really about what he could do for other people and how he can help them develop, grow, and change into better athletes, but also better human beings. So he he definitely had like a really good idea, well thought out, well planned philosophy of how he was going to coach. And he was all about, you know, the fundamentals. I mean, in fact, Growing up, I remember going to see Hoosiers in the sixth grade, and you know it was when uh, Gene Hackman first met you know his team, and you know everybody was like, "Oh man, who is this crazy guy?" And he had the chairs out, and they're dribbling through the chairs, and they're you know passing and not able to shoot. My dad did the same exact thing, so I just had a lot of admiration for him because um, of the way he he treated people, it was fair. And he really knew, he was my first sports psychology teacher. He was quick with platitudes and he, he, you know, he read a ton of books, had all kinds of quotes, but he was deeply interested, curious, and invested in tangibles of sport. And I think that allowed us an edge over, you know, our competitors at the time.
0: You spent a year in Mexico and then you came back and you finished high school in, in the East Bay, yes?
1: Yeah. So, the Mexico thing, you know, like, you know, just connecting my upbringing and talking about my father to the Mexico, like that was really, like you said, about being a little bit uncomfortable, stretching yourself. I had to wake up every day at 530, pretty much on my own, hop on, you know, a bus for like an hour, hop on the metro, take it to the University of Mexico, you know, where I was around university students, study. And then, you know, hop on another bus, hop on the subway and go to practice from like three in the afternoon till seven at night and then take another, you know, do the same thing to get home. And this was pretty much every single day. So I had to be independent. I I wanted to learn the language because, you know, growing up in the Bay Area, you have a lot of, you know, you're street smart. I didn't want to get robbed. I didn't want Mexico City, there's 22 million people. And if you don't know the language... I mean, I didn't want anybody getting over on me. So I hit the books hard. I learned the language quick. You know, I forged really strong bonds with guys. You know, I I was very mechanical at the time, but uh, we had, our trainer was a professional player in Mexico. He played for Los Tigres and his father played for Los Diablos, which were the two professional teams in Mexico City. So he took my very like methodical, mechanical game and added that little love and Latin flavor into it, you know, with some just being smooth and rhythmic and played every day, you know, and at 16, I was just getting bigger, faster, stronger. And the community there totally supported me, Chase, like every time I hit a home runs, the stands would erupt, and they would yell tacos, tacos after the game, because I just knew I loved it. So I mean, it was a time of my life, but I didn't do it. I wasn't with my family, so hey, this is life. You better wake up and you better get cracking. And I wasn't a student. I hated school, just wanted to play all day. I really did and And so after this, you know, I, like I said, I became a, a lot more independent, and I started like put my attention and focus into getting better grades. It matured me a lot.
0: Speaking from firsthand experience, and then just from what I see in in coaching young men at that age who have an extreme disliking for school. Just what I can say for myself is like, I felt very little application from what I was learning in middle school, high school to real life skills. And it sounds like something similar with you where once you found that, oh, I can I can learn this language and it's, it's gonna help me survive. It's gonna help me thrive. You found application for it. And then was that like a switch for you from then to here on where, okay, learning is important. Learning is good. You know, learning benefits me. I, I need to be spending time every day learning.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's well put. That's exactly my experience. I mean, you know, that my dad was real sneaky with, uh, he knew I liked comic books. Uh, so he would, you know, he'd give me some comic books once in a while. And then he would slip in like a uh, a book on Willie Mays or Ted Williams. And then when I was in Mexico, he started sending me books. And it was just like this perfect storm, you know, where it was like, you know what? I, I need to invest in my education and and just... I became curious, you know, and then in high school, you know, when you're a junior or senior or when you're in college, you get to take courses that you really like, like philosophy and humanities and world religion. And and once I started taking some of those classes, you know, I just I, I
0: really took off. And then why do you think it's important to be curious? Oh, because,
1: you know, if you're curious, I always talk about a couple different attitudes. You know, we should want to help our youngsters develop and curiosity is one and disciplines the other. With curiosity, everything's exciting. Everything's fresh. Everything's new. So right now I have four kids, uh, everywhere from uh, 18, two daughters who are 13 and Max is 20 months. And, you know, just watching him and being observant, like he could just take anything, like a a toothbrush and toothpaste, and you can show him how to use it. And it's like it's the greatest thing in the world. He's like – man, dad, what is this? This is so cool. You know, so if, if you're curious, then like I said, everything's new, everything's fresh. You have a beginner's mindset and uh, you just want to, you know, learn and understand more. And I still practice that, you know, that's probably the most important skill or attitude that I, I try to apply every single day of my life.
0: Gets you energized and motivated. Right? Yeah. And I completely agree with the, the fresh part. It only stays fresh if you are curious and you are learning. I got a quick story of a, a mentor I had probably about three years ago and we went out to breakfast at this diner and he's you no know, high energy guy and the waitress comes up and he asks, you know, he's like, How are you doing? And she said something like, same stuff, different day or something like that. Such and, a and what he the way he reframed it with her, or maybe this is something he taught me when she walked away is yes, I was in this diner yesterday. And yes, I was in this diner last week, but I'm a different person than I was yesterday. Right. And I'm a different person than I was last week. So even you could say same time of day, same kind of location. If you are curious, if you are investing in education, that you are going to have new frame to be curious about something new because you are going to be in a different place. So I, th- I thought that was really, uh, it made sense. <laughs>
1: yeah. You're going to get better at what you do because you want to know all aspects of your passion or your hobby or your profession. And, and I have to use it today because, you know, there was a time when I was working for the military where uh, things just started to get, you know, just kind of a little bit boring. And I had to like get back into the books and, and continue my learning or it was just going to be like this cookie cutter presentation that I was going to give, you know, so how, do, how can I make this a little bit more interesting? What can I learn? What avenues... Uh, Or elements can I, you know, go down or elements that I can add to, you know, my overall knowledge to just keep after it, you know, because sometimes, you know, even like practices, they're never for me because I love practice, but some people hate practice. But if you're curious, you know, you're going to be energized and motivated to practice every single day because you're just trying to figure out how to, you know, figure out your way of doing things better, you know, which is just going to help your overall performance.
0: If I'm someone listening to this and I'm in a a spot in life where I'm not feeling my job, I'm not feeling where I'm at, I think those are good questions that we can ask to take advantage of the day is, how can I make this more interesting? How can I improve my situation? You know, it's not just... Wailing and where we are, but asking ourselves questions to try and find, get us to a new place of where we want to go, right?
1: Right, absolutely. I think, you know, figuring out if, you know, what you really want to do, like what are you passionate about? And, and you know, I kind of see that as, uh, you know, the role and responsibility of, of parents, uh, you know, is to try to expose our children to a lot of different opportunities. Um, you know, I have a daughter who is incredibly skilled and talented when it comes to sports. And I've tried to, you know, gently nudge her in in that area because, I mean, she could really excel and get a scholarship, but it's not her thing. And, you know, I don't hit her over the head with it. I try to find different things that she can connect with that can spark that excitement, that intrinsic motivation where, you know, she'll do something not because she's paid to do it, but because she loves to do it. Um, So, you know, I think for, you know, our youngsters out there is, you know, just really finding out what you like and what you love and kind of what's your mission in life. Um, If you don't know that, You know, you can just, you know, instead of like, probably you had the same experience instead of daydreaming is just really plugging into where you are at that moment and just being open to learning, you know, like, I don't need to deviate. I don't need to think about what I'm doing after class. Let me just be engaged, be all here and really see what I can learn. And, uh, you know, I think by changing that attitude and mentality is a a real step in the right direction.
0: And then for you initially... Getting done with high school, you wanted to you want to become a baseball coach. After high school, where are you? What what are you thinking? And uh, where are you going?
1: Yeah, so my, my goal was to be the winningest Division One baseball college coach uh, in the world. I have no doubt that I could have made it close. You know, I started out coaching really young. Um, I was always like second in command, you know, with my father. Uh, I was like the player coach. Coached some teams, you know, when I was like 16, 17, 18, all levels. Uh, I've coached high school, college, junior college. I went over and played baseball in Europe and coached over there, uh, the Slovak national team. You know, just because of my father. And just playing and and just being a very, you know, I had like high baseball IQ, coached many successful teams. However, uh, you know, like Yogi Berra said, I came to a fork in the road and I took it and I went a different direction. I went and got a master's degree to set me up to be a division one coach. And then it just didn't work out. I was was newly married and, you know, we decided together to move in a different direction. So I decided to go out and get a doctorate degree in uh, sport and performance psychology. The funny thing is, I was so hyper-focused on the sport and performance piece, I really didn't know that I was going to be trained uh, to be a clinical psychologist. I don't know, you know, I was just, like I said, so hyper-focused, you know, just sport, sport, sport and excited that when they gave me my books and it was like child psychology and psychopathology, I was like, oh, well, I mean, this will be interesting stuff. And so I had, you know, I changed directions. You know, my overall goal was... To be a Division One baseball coach, but also I just changed it a little bit to be a mental skills coach with college athletes. And then my like top goal was to be uh, to make the major leagues in ten years to work for a major league organization. I I did it in eight, so I was you know I was really proud of that. You know that I was able to you know have a dream, you know create some goals, and then just relentlessly pursue
0: them. And then how would you define mental skills? Uh, mental skills are those
1: strategies, tactics, or techniques that you use uh, to be able to control yourself so you can control or manage the performance uh, and there's a lot of different mental skills everything from uh, you know goal setting and using imagery and uh, mindfulness practices and thought stopping techniques uh, there's there so many out there that you know you can find a couple no matter who you are that will work for you upgrade your performance it, it really once you start getting into mental skills and training those mental skills I can almost guarantee you're going to see your game absolutely change. And that's what happened to me in college. I, I played two years at Laney Junior College in Oakland, California. And then I got a full ride scholarship to play at a, just a small NAI school in the Midwest. I uh, was in a place called Blair, Nebraska, which they boast is about 30, which is a country mile, they say, which is like 30 miles in actuality, Omaha. And so I had a couple of, I had my father, my first sports psychologist. Then I had a couple of coaches that just had a penchant for the mental game. Uh, not only were they really good at teaching about the intangibles, but they created an environment where they just expected a lot and demanded a lot. So they pushed you past what you thought you were capable of. And they created an environment that was fair, but it was highly competitive. And then when I went to Dana College, our head coach had a master's degree in sports psychology. And it was the first time where I actually practiced mental skills prior to you know, practice or Games. And that's, I think it was just like I said, this perfect storm again, or this culmination of just getting faster, stronger. I was a late bloomer, I hit the weights. Uh, I gained weight. I started figuring it out. And then when I added that that last dimension, the mental game, man, I mean, I just uh, catapulted to, you know, really probably getting the most out of my potential.
0: And then I'm a big believer in creating a training schedule, like a daily training schedule for a week to kind of get in, right, to use a military term like a battle rhythm to kind of simplify what, what I'm trying to accomplish and what needs to get done. And would you suggest to have a lot of time? For mental skills in there, if that's something that I want to cultivate, or if the listener wants to cultivate,
1: oh yeah, I mean, I think it's you know, as you move up to the next level, I mean, it's a necessity. You know, it's sports are so competitive nowadays. There's so many people. You know, when you reach a certain level, the playing field levels out. You know, when it comes to the physical piece or you know the mechanical piece. So, what's the the separator, the the element, or the dimension that? Uh, is the difference maker. And, you know, most people, I mean, you hear this all the time. Everybody talks about the mental game. Uh, People know confidence is important and you have to concentrate and focus and coaches say it all the time. The problem is, is how do you do that? Um, And that's where, uh, you know, I really make my money or or our field really makes our money. You know, I was, uh, we always used to talk about like confidence, for example, is mentioned 60 plus times Uh, in FM, which is a field manual, 6-22 in the Army, which is a leadership manual. But nowhere does it talk about like, how do you engineer and manufacture confidence? You have to do something. Uh, The problem is, is that most people just don't know how to do it. You know, so we try to take these concepts, these, these mental skills and put them in the hands of players so that they can practice these things in training and then in pressure situations to elevate their game.
0: Yeah, one where I I don't think mental skills are talked about too much in connection with is character development. So we hear all the frequently just importance of of character within high performance teams and and character, just importance of that as an advancing as a society, right? So I work on the football staff at Castlemont High School in East Oakland, and the perception of Castlemont for other football programs in the Bay Area is these guys are strong, they're fast but they do not have the discipline I associate perception stereotyping whatnot of oh they don't have the character in terms of to they'll they'll chop off their own foot they'll make their own mistakes on it. And what I associate with that, with what you just said, is that mental skills be valuable in terms of developing that character and developing that discipline. Right? It's not just we all hear about. Oh, you need more. You need to be more disciplined, and you need to be more organized. Well, what are the tools and the toolkit to get to that end result?
1: Yeah, you're spot on. You know, I mean, graduating from Skyline and you know in Oakland and Castlemont was uh, you know a competitor of ours, ours, uh, and then playing baseball in Laney. I mean, I've gotten that same you know experience from the outside looking in, but I have grew up with friends that went to Castlemont and incredibly gifted, you know, talented, you know, a lot of them had to to deal with some rough situations. It's a rough part of town, you know, uh, some of them are just trying to survive day to day, Um, which, you know, in some ways it might be distractor for some, but you know, for some of my friends, it was, they're just grittier, you know, they were more focused as a result. But I think, you know, people like talk about thirds, like a third of people are gonna already do mental skills or like if there's a third, you know, where you can really make a change and then there's a third that just don't want to hear anything about it, right? I think we can help that second third, you know, the middle you know, kids and teenagers that if we can train them in some mental skills, you know, like you said, like through character development or through sports or, or through just uh, mental skills training that we can really help them, you know, flourish and excel. And I still don't like to leave the other third off. I feel like, you know, other third, you know, we got to just do things a little bit different. We need uh, more support, you know, from different helping populations.
0: Yeah. You can't teach a pig to fly. You're not able to do it and all it does is piss off the pig. And then how did you, so you were working with the, the Slovak national team and you shifted and pivoted to getting a doctorate in sports psychology. And then how did you end up working with uh, the United States military?
1: Yes. Let me see. So I went, like you said, got a doctorate degree from the Arizona professional school of psychology in Phoenix, did a lot of, you know, amazing internships, eating disorder clinic. Uh, I was a crisis counselor for a job all around the Phoenix area. i went worked at a college counseling center, for one of my practicums. I also worked at a chronic pain clinic. My internship year, we have to do one year. I think it's like 2,000 hours. And you usually like apply to 30 different schools. You might get like 10 schools or institutions or organizations that are interested in you. And so I did a year at the University of South Carolina Counseling and Human Development Center. And in North Carolina, there was a consulting business uh, called Apex Performance. and so. I was about three, four months out beyond my uh, graduation and and I have earned my doctorate degree. I was working at Midlands Tech, which is a junior college teaching just basic counseling and uh, psychology classes. And I was just fortunate enough because I was—I think maybe I was just so close that somebody reached out to me. I think it was an old professor said, hey, you might be interested in this job that's opening up. Go check it out. So I called Dr. Lewis Choka uh, who used to be a colonel in the army. And he, uh, worked many, many years at the United States military Academy. He created mental skills, toughness wing at the United States military Academy in the eighties. And now he was out of the army and military and he had his own performance consulting business. And he was working with fortune 500 companies, the military professional sports organizations. So, you know, he hired me. I was the first one hired in this program. And, uh, you know, a lot of it was just, uh, you know, my patience, my education, my background, you know, we hit it off. um, And he was looking for a young guy who was hungry and wanted to be schooled. And uh, he was probably one of the greatest mentors I've ever had. And so, that was my entry into the military. I didn't know much about it. And uh, I was just thrown into the fire. Uh, But I was so, you know, I had so much passion and love for it right away. Like just respect for these women that like within three months, a lot of people would ask if I had ever served in the military because I, just like Mexico, I just hit the books, tried to learn everything, hung out with, you know, special forces operators, you know, just tried to pick their brains and, and learn as much as I possibly could. And then over time, you know, I just, I love that, that population. I love people who serve in the military. I have such a, you know, just a passion for for helping out that it's, it is my favorite population to work with. And I did that for about seven, eight years.
0: And then why was he such a valuable mentor to you? What did he do that looking back made that such a, a valuable experience for you? Yeah. So he,
1: at that time, I think it was like in his sixties. And I was always the type of person that I learned, like go out and find mentors because they're going to help you with give you that edge or just that education or, or learning experience is going to make you stand out a little bit more you know and, and he definitely did that he was just an expert in the field he like i said he created uh, it was called the center for enhanced performance uh, up at west point in the 80s and he worked with i think he taught i don't i forget what department he taught in at the time uh, but he had just a real interest because he used a lot of these intangible skills in Vietnam to help him be an effective leader and create strong, uh, you know, strong teams. And so he started working with athletes, first the, the football team and then branching out. So that was one track. And then over time, he created another prong, which was academics. And so he helped people, students and cadets, dealing with test-taking anxiety, test-taking skills, you know, presentations, you know, dealing with pressure in an academic setting. And then he created a third track, which was focused on military performance. So, you know, I really feel like he is the godfather and grandfather of mental skills in the military. And so he created a program and he wanted to take that and replicate it and bring it out to the big army organization. So everybody would have access to this information because he knew that this information could save lives, not only, you know, save lives, you know, in a, a performance or mission driven setting, but also change lives when it came to being a better father or living a more well-adjusted life or, you know, dealing with things like post-traumatic stress disorder or, or being a better father or mother. And that's what I really loved about him. He was authentic. He was a man of a lot of character. He, even though he's 65, he uh, he was a spark plug. He was from Hungary, and he was just a hardworking uh, man with a lot of intelligence. And he he really showed me the ropes when it came to using technology and building that into the work that you do. And that's why I do a lot of biofeedback stuff with athletes.
0: And then fast forward to how much value the United States military places on mental skills now. Why do you think that is? Why does the military put such value on these skills that you teach?
1: Yeah. So, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, like I said, the mental game is the difference maker. So the military has known for the longest time that it's not necessarily the most talented or physical soldiers that make it through, you know, the toughest schools. It's the mental piece. You know, the physical, as a commander once said, is just a prerequisite to get in. The physical gets you in the door. It's actually mental uh, weakness. It screens you out. It's mental toughness that lets you in. So, the military is like special schools, whether that's, you know, Navy SEALs, BUDS training, or Special Forces Assessment and Selection, which is called SFAS, uh, which, you know, the operators or soldiers that uh, go through that program, uh, they renamed it the School for Advanced Suffering, which I love. And these schools are designed to push you to the edge, to make you fail and see how you respond. So, do you cave in? Do you wave the white flag? Or do you warrior up? You know, can you, perform your job when the conditions are imperfect, in extreme situation when, you know, the pressure is the possibility of mission failure or the loss of life. You know, either those that you're trying to protect, those that are serving to your left or right, or maybe even yours. So, the stakes are high, you know, and the game is real. And the military is very serious nowadays, you know, in the past, but now they've created like some really solid programs in the military to teach mental toughness. And i love it because the way I looked at it, it's it's a lot like coaching is the military cracked the code on creating environmental stress and pressure so that you can increase your threshold to deal with, you know, those harsh conditions where you had to endure and grind it out and where, you know, those tough conditions or the environments became your new normal. But the mental piece was kind of left up to the individual. So, where we came in was we did the inside out approach. So, they did outside in, we did the inside-out approach and we married it together. And now I think there's just exceptional training in the military, employs the most amount of mental skills coaches in the entire world. So myself and Peter Lee, we were the first ones hired. And I think now there's hundreds of people that work for the military. The program's changed a little bit. You know, they do kind of more counseling stuff now. But there are a lot of individuals that are working with our, you know, our our tactical athletes in the military, helping them, you know, prepare for some serious encounters with the enemy.
0: Do you believe that teams or men individually can achieve high performance without some form of suffering in training?
1: Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, you got to practice like you train. I mean, coaches say that all the time. Um, In fact, the best coaches I've ever had, uh, one was the winningest coach in, you know, I think junior college history, uh, Papa Pierce, is he's known. He He was about five foot nothing, looked like Yoda and cussed like a sailor. But he, you know, he made the environment tougher than the game so that when you were in the game, it was like it was nothing you could handle it you know, in the military, like systematically creates the environment in a way where they're not just like, here's a weapon system, go fight, you know, in a war. They're creating pre-battlefield veterans, you know, in a safe environment, but chaotic environment where you can, you know, learn to apply these mental skills and mental tactics so that when you hit the ground, you know, boots on the ground, It's not overwhelming where you, you know, freeze or or run away. You're like, you know how to increase your ability to stay calm and functional, you know, in these tough situations.
0: And I think it's a mental skill in itself to be able to recognize that putting myself through discomfort, putting myself through suffering is good for me. I see you got a, a poster of a Buddha statue in the back. I want to butcher this, but I know the Buddha, maybe one of the original mental skills coaches talked about how all life is suffering. And then it's our ability of how we interpret that, right? What he said is yes, life is painful. And then how do we interpret that? And that's, that's a huge mental skill. You want to touch on that a little bit in terms of bringing this back to the training that you just mentioned of what some what special forces do and in creating these environments where the guys have to suffer to get out the other end and how having what kind of mental skills are needed to be able to to recognize and interpret that this is good for me and I can do this and it's going to benefit me it's going to benefit my mission it's going to benefit those around me
1: right yeah so military is really good at finding those people who might have the genetic makeup to be you know exceptional warriors and to get them through some of these you know special training programs but i also think the military does a great job of taking people who are you know want to serve their country, are seeking some adventure, want to make something more of themselves and really testing their mettle. And, you know, like I said, it's really not the most gifted people that get or talented people that get through these programs or even get through the military. It's, it really is about the mindset. So I always love like, uh, what's that one quote? It's not the size of the dog and the fight, but the size of the fight and the dog. Like that's what the military is all about. Grit and grinding and during and putting you in uncomfortable situation because out there on the limb, that's where the fruit is. You know, everything comes down to how do you handle stress and pressure and those who can, you know, are going to outperform those who can't. And we know that competition, you know, there's a lot of pressure in competition and the military, obviously there's going to be so much chaos and it's hectic and, you know, lives are on the line uh, that you have to figure out how can you cope with that? How can you deal with that? How can you get the most out of yourself. And so the way I kind of look at performance is we all have like this lock box, right? And inside that lock box is our ability, our talent, our aptitude, our gifts, our skill set. you know, our motor skills, you know, everything that makes us good at being an athlete and a tactical athlete. And so do you know your code to be able to have full access at any time? Uh, and some people don't, you know, some people are very inconsistent performers where they're great at practice or they're great in the cage or they're, you know, they're great taking snaps Yes you know, on the sideline, but once they get into a challenging situation, you know, they melt or they underperform. And so what mental skills training does is teach and train people, you know, to have to create that their own personal code so that you can not only have full access to it, but you can apply those skills and get to your performance zone or your ideal performance state faster, quicker. And then when you're not there and you're falling out, how do you quickly identify identify or recognize and get yourself back into that performance state over a long period of time. You know, so every day we want consistent performers who can perform no matter what stressors are thrown their way. I mean, that's to me like the definition of mental, you know, mental toughness, the ability to consistently perform at the upper range of your talent and skill, regardless of the circumstance and on demand. So, you know, some people show up one day and and they're great. You know, some people, then they're putting you know, into the fire in a different situation with, you know, a team who are just, they might be a little bit better than you. Like, how are you going to deal with that? Do you have skills to be able to amplify your game, you know, remain confident, focused, and just uh, ready to play at your best?
0: And then with your, while we're in the the topic of the the military here, I'd love to, to go into a little bit on this concept of fight or flight. Uh Could you describe what that is? What is the fight or flight reaction?
1: Okay. Yeah. So, well, there's a lot to that. I don't want to overcomplicate it, but uh, I, I guess the way I start out talking about it is that performance is highly connected to sport performance and an autonomic nervous system controls all of our voluntary and involuntary functions of the body. And that is divided into two branches or two systems, our sympathetic nervous system, right? Is, which triggers that fight or flight or freeze response then our parasympathetic nervous system which is the rest or digest. And so those two systems, even though they're complementary, a lot of times they're in competition with each other. So they're responsible for like how we deal in those tough situations as they activate and deactivate all of our muscles, glands, you know, thinking processes, ability to focus and whatnot. So the sympathetic nervous system fires up our system. And you know, when it comes to stress, pressure and challenge, I always think of like stress as, you know, that, that friend of yours that, is a smack talk and you're on the basketball court playing hoops and they're trying they're guarding you trying to decide your head and get you off your game and make you react that's stress and and stress happens all day every day but you have to learn how to control how you respond and deal with the active event or the stress it's going to get the best of you so it's really for us like our sympathetic country we live in and the time our sympathetic nervous system is the dominant mode uh, or system that's you know just really operating. And so a lot of mental skills training is about training the parasympathetic nervous system. And so, you know, when we go into a stressful situation, you know, we can perceive it as either a, a threat or a challenge, and if you perceive it as a threat, then your system fires up and you get all the chemical dumpage, you know, fight like Wolverine, you know, run like Flash or freeze like Iceman. And, you know, it's all based on evolution and survival. You know, there's there's reasons why we do that, but sometimes that that doesn't serve us. So how can you be calm, cool, collected, you know, in pressured situations? It's by training the parasympathetic nervous system through, you know, like you just talked about, acceptance, you know, of suffering, putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, uh, using goal setting. Goal setting is a way that really quiets your amygdala, which is like the psychological sentinel. It's it's the part of you that fires up the system. But if you have a goal in mind or a mission in mind or structure in mind, then it quiets it so that you can really feel like you can handle the situation with a lot of uh, grace and voice.
0: And then when you said perceive, to perceive it as a challenge rather than as a threat? Yeah, reinterpret
1: what you're up against.
0: And is that just a thought that I'm putting through my head? How does, in terms of like tactical execution, what does that look like? So I'm in a stressful situation. I'm in a high pressure situation. Is this, is self-talk how we perceive it? Is that what you mean by perception or?
1: Yeah. Perception. So yeah, you can either frame it, right? The situation. So there's an activating event. Let's say, you know, you work with football, the activating event is, you know, you played a poor game and maybe you feel like coach is going to bench you. And then you have that one thing thought, you know, all of a sudden your world opens up and it's all very and doubt. Hey, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. What does this all mean? Now you're really mentally screwed. Uh, but you can take that situation. Some people, and it's just natural. And then some people that need to really train it. I had a horrible, I played a poor game, but what did I do well? You know, this is the after action review part. What did I do well? What can I control? What goals can I set to become better in this situation or this area you know, and practice next time, you know, why was I, why did I have a poor game? Was it a mental thing? Was it emotional thing? Was it situational? Was it conditional? Was it physical? Uh, You know, just really identifying it and then put, you know, trying to regain control of the situation. And we can do that. Yes. Through thinking that's the easiest way to do it. You know, like, Hey, I know I don't feel good about this game. You know, my self esteem and self worth is threatened, but I'm still living. I'm still breathing. I got a good support system system. You know, I can get better. Uh, I just need to work on these couple of things, fine-tune things. I'll be okay.
0: Why do you feel it's important to actively train the ability to respond well in stressful situations?
1: Okay. So, like I said, like all combat and all sports is tied to the autonomic nervous system. So, when you are stressed out, some real things happen. When your sympathetic nervous system is excited or dominant, you can lose. You have the potential to lose near near vision. You know, so when Actually happens is like I think the way i 've read it is like a decade ago, and i haven 't read it in a long time, but as your lens or your eyeball flattens out, physical changes that your body and mind go through based on the way you see things. So, if near vision collapses, now things look closer than they really appear in reality. So, let's say, for example, that you're playing baseball and the pitcher's, you know, I mean, he's just throwing smoke and cheese. He's already thrown like, let's say, 95 miles an hour. Uh, you're stressed because you think he's better than you. And then, like, once again, you might get benched or what is this all? Our scouts are in the stands. And now, your near vision collapses. Now, things look closer than they really are. So your timing's off, your rhythm's off. Your perceptual vision or peripheral vision collapses by 70% to like 24 inches. So let's say you're out and you are, uh, you know, running missions in the military, you're like a quick reaction, QRF, and you go out there and you're knocking on doors, you have to be able to scan to look for threat. Well, if your peripheral vision shuts down, now you can't detect or recognize the enemy. You know, oh, there's a sniper up there in the building, you know, that's innocent. That's collateral damage. And so stress has a real uh, sometimes negative effect on our ability to perform in a real physical way. And there's so many other things, you know, reaction time slows down by 400%. Our ability to make good decisions and sound decisions go down. Memory deteriorates, you know, in the physical realm, you know, there's a, a continuum fine motor skills to gross motor skills. If your heart rate, some of the research is showing that if your heart rate goes above 115, it unplugs your ability to use your fine motor movement. So, if you are a pitcher, you need that ability to pressure on the ball, manipulate the ball, uh, get enough spin. If you're a shooter, you know, and you have vasoconstriction to your fingers, now maybe you're flapping the trigger, you know, and any input on the weapon that rounds, you know, it's going to impact the round and it's going to be off target. Target. So, let's just say your fine motor skills get unplugged. How are you going to perform well? Above 145, your complex motor skills erode. And then 175, you know, you just have this total cognitive catastrophe where you just can't think. And so, that's why people need to learn mental skills because if you don't get yourself under control, you're not going to be able to manage performance.
0: That's amazing. So, baseball was a huge part of your life growing up. One of the most winningest Division One baseball coach in history. You did a pivot. you got your doctorate you entered into the military and then how did you go from being in the military to being back in the baseball world in professional baseball
1: yeah so I got out of working for the Army Center for Enhanced Performance they just kind of went in a different direction than I wanted to go in and I got a new position with First Group Special Forces out of Joint Base Lewis McCord and this was a a program for all uh, for SOCOM Special Forces Command so all the Special Forces organizations within the military, uh, whether it was, you know, Navy, Air Force, you know, Coast Guard or Army uh, or Marines. And for some reason, move up there, super excited, you know, did some insane training with those guys, like three-day missions out in the bush, special forces, Chinooks, and, and just following those guys around. Three months, the whole program throughout the military disbanded, you know, hairy financial situation that went down. And so a lot of us who got out of certain organizations, moved their family across country and are excited to, you know, work with a real specialized population, found ourselves looking for another job. Since I was in the Seattle area, I was put in touch with Michael Gervais. He's really famous and popular in the field. He has his own podcast, which is amazing. Just uh, probably one of the the best, if not the best guy out there in our field. Uh, Works with the Seattle Seahawks, Olympic athletes, you name it. Just a real bright, switched on guy. And so I actually, I flew out, to IMG, which is a a training center out in Bradenton, Florida, Uh, hung out a couple days with some friends of mine that are in the field. Uh, One of the guys, uh, Angus Mugford, is uh, the president of uh, our association, Sports Psychology. He has super connections he works now for the Toronto Blue Jays as their uh, mental skills coach. He put me in contact with Michael. We talked, interviewed me, and he helped me position for the Mariners. Um, So luckily I landed on my feet kind of for me, like professionally crisis situation.
0: And then do you have, real quick on the before we leave your experience in the military, in that area of your life, do you have any, is there a, a memorable story that sticks out in terms of that really impacted you or a story from a student that you had or someone in there who really had a demonstrated and did something with these skills or just something that, what's kind of the most memorable experience or the most impactful experience from your time and that part of your life, life journey?
1: There, um, there's a couple and I could speak to those in a minute, but I think for me, you know, growing up in the Bay Area, we have an edge to us you know, you know, going to Oakland schools and, and you're pretty much blue collar, you're street savvy street smart. You probably don't really care for, you know, police or military. And I think that combined with Berkeley's right there, you know, peace and love and all that kind of as I didn't have a real appreciation for what police officers or the military, what they've done and what they do. So every single relationship that I ever had there, everybody I met, I was actually, I mean, blown away. And I just, I'm so, Thankful and grateful because they they changed my preconceived notions about what type of people you know were in the military. And so the, to answer that question is like it's everybody. I mean, I really do have such an admiration and, and just respect for what they do. I met a lot of very very intelligent, engaged, connected, switched on, caring, loving people. That's what that population is mostly about. I mean, even when you get into of special forces, it's all about brotherhood and sisterhood. And, and love. In fact, that was when I asked one time in a presentation and program that I uh, ran for us, the warrant officers and special army special forces. I was like, what's the one thing if you had to like boil it down to one thing, you know, is it combat motivation? Is it leadership? Is it and they all like in unison said love. And I was like, Wow, would have never expected that answer. You know, the, the person, the love for the country. So I think I've learned way more from you know my experience in the military than I ever you know taught anybody else. Uh, with that being said, two experiences. One was our organization was about to go away and be disbanded. And they chose and identified me to deliver a presentation in front of General Casey, who was a four-star general at that Mm -hmm. time, chief of staff of the army. And I was honored to do that. A lot of pressure on me. In fact, some colonels came down and they're trying to dictate, you know, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. And after about four hours of that, just trying to game plan and spitball it, I was like, hey guys, I have this. Just trust me, this is going to be gold. But there was a lot of weight on my shoulders because they kind of talked about like if, I didn't do a good job and didn't perform at my best that the organization was going to go away. So that was one uh, because I was put in a real uh, situation where I had to use all of my mental assets you know, in a tough situation to deliver my best. And and that happened. Thankfully, I prepared for it. And then the second one was I worked with a a sniper team in the 11th International Sniper Sniper Competition, which is a two-week competition with the best snipers in the world. And uh, this team had never worked together. And most of your sniper teams, uh, they have stronger relationships and stronger ties than even their spouses. And so we took this team and we went to Fort Benning for two weeks. And uh, we were their performance coaches for six months. And we just spun them up, trained them up. Uh, I mean, it's an, it's an amazing event. I wish they would put this on ESPN because I love baseball. I love World Cup. I love anything under pressure. You know, you can stare in, stare in contest, thumb wrestling war. The pressure's on. I want to be there, see how it develops. But this, man, they put you in some hairy situations. Like it is tactically, you know, realistic, like, uh, you know, you're fighting in theater in, in a war. And that was just uh, those relationships. I still have a strong relationships with those guys, but uh, I learned a lot. And I got to work with, uh, you know, uh, I got like just the inside and into the military with you know, some of the the best snipers in the world, uh, and I got to be their performance coach. So uh, that was a very special moment, you know, in my life uh, and in my profession. And then, of course, working with anybody, you know, PTSD and wounded, I mean, all good experiences.
0: To bring it back with your time when you joined the Mariners, this is something I want to speak on, and I think this connects with snipers, is when I think of professional baseball, I think of how many games there are in a year. It's like 162 or something like that, insane, before the postseason. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the importance of routine and how mental skills can play a part of that in terms of, in your experience with that organization, organization in creating a routine and by creating this routine and then setting us up to open up our mind to other things when we know what we're going to do ahead of time to kind of simplify. So what what are your thoughts on routine and how do mental skills affect that?
1: Yeah, so I mean, a routine is big, especially you uh, are talking about a game like baseball. Like you said, it's 162 day super grind, you know, long spring training. Uh, And then nowadays in the off season, I mean, you're really not off, you're, you know, you're working on your craft. So, you know, guys get in there early, you know, so if we have a game at five or 7.15, guys, you know, some guys show up at 11, 12, you know, one o'clock, maybe, you know, two at the latest, you know, those are your, you know, those are your steely vets, you know, your crusty veterans that have been there for 15 and 20 years. And so there's a real monotony and boredom, you know, a lot of sitting around. And uh, when you're sitting around and, and you're bored, you know, your mind, can just play a whole lot of tricks on you. And so, you got to try to gain ownership over your mind. And really, that's what a routine does is it? it's like for me, this, this mental, emotional and physical mantra, you know, that you're doing, like you're opening doors and closing them as you get closer to the game time, you know. So, and it makes you feel, you know, comfortable, confident and focused so that you can peak at the right time. You know, so I talked like one year, I made it my objective to help guys with their pre-game routine. What are the things that you do prior to the game? What is it the things that you do you know, when you get to the park and and then what are some of the things you do as you're about to go up to bat or throw the pitch? Uh, and then also, what are the things that you do at the end of the game, you know, to kind of decouple from, you know, the emotional experience of the game and to be able to, you know, walk away learning something, feeling good about yourself and then getting sound sleep with just another dimension of the game. So, you know, a routine is just a, a format, a framework, uh, you know, some steps that you can do that will allow you to be able to be more focused, more confident, and just ready to be able to perform at your best, you know, when it matters. And that's like game time, At ground ball hit to you, or you're up there on the mound
0: pitching. Do you believe that individuals or teams can be at high performance without spending a lot of time in, in the mundane.
1: Say that one more time.
0: Well, I just think just in terms of where we're talking about here in terms of combat and military and sports, where if you're an outsider looking in, you think it's so much of it is intensity and pressure moments. And that's really in terms of like overall time spent, it seems like it's such a small part compared to the mundane of if you're a sniper shooting 500 shots a day, or if you're a baseball player taking 500 swings a day. And I guess my question was rhetorical and just the importance of embracing the mundane, em- embracing boredom, and utilizing mental skills to make the most of the mundane so you are optimally prepared for pressure right. moments.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, totally got you. It kind of sparks something. Right now, I'm watching the fight. I think it's called Fighting Season, uh, which is on Netflix uh, that uh, follows. Uh, some combat units and companies uh, in Afghanistan. I think it's like 2015. And one of the guys in the last episode, you know, they're out there, you know, just setting up, you know, checkpoints. And he's, and they're being interviewed. And he's like, this is what we do. This is 90% of what we do. Out here just waiting, you know, there's a term in the military called hurry up and wait. And then maybe five or 10% is actually, you know, performing an actual mission or getting in a firefight or doing something, you know, mental, emotional, physical, uh, where you're calling upon your training. And so, yeah, I mean, most of what we do is going to be boring and mundane and rote And so, that's why, you know, we had that conversation earlier in this podcast on curiosity. And that's a part of grit too, is like you have to have this passion for what you do, passion for your craft, passion to get better. You know, to me, passion is like you're ignited from within. You're energized by calling or you have a strong sense of being on a mission and so you need that passion to persevere through those difficult or challenging you know situations that get thrown at you and even more than that are the boring times How do you turn on your curiosity so that you can get the most out of this moment? Because you have a choice to either plug into what you're doing and learn and prepare and be better. Or can, like I said earlier with the education piece, you can just like, you know, daydream and not be engaged and not be connected. And now, I don't know about you, but I I regret every day that I wasn't there, uh, you know, and took a year off basically, you know, when it came to junior year in in math or English because I wish... I had just a better skill set, you know, in those areas of academia. So, I think you're you're right on. You have to increase your curiosity, maintain discipline, you know, remind yourself of the bigger picture and why you're there and have a good understanding what you want to accomplish throughout the day. You know, am I going to play grab ass or can I take this opportunity to put the tea on the third half of the plate and work on, you know, driving the ball the other way? You know, am I going to reach for a soda or I'm going to reach for, you know, some protein or some you know, something that's a little bit healthier that's going to fuel my body so that I'm not running out of energy in the ninth inning when they really need me in the games on the line.
0: And then how long were you with Seattle Mariners? I
1: was with them for three years, 2014, 2017, yeah, until Max was born.
0: Okay. And you said you have a daughter, teenage daughter and younger son. So
1: I have, I've been in a relationship for six years now. And so uh, my girlfriend has two kids, 18, Noah's 18 Chloe's 13. I have a daughter who's 13. And then Christina and I share Max, who's uh, 19 months.
0: When does Max start getting the training? He's already doing it. Okay. So we have when he's squirming
1: around and like when his diaper is being changed or he's trying to fall asleep, we already do mindfulness practice. So we do in through the nose and he says in, out through the mouth, (sighs) ah. smile and he smiles and then happy and he throws his head back. He just kind of made that up on his own. And then we say peace and he, he has a lisp and love. And then that's what we do. And we've been doing that for about three, four months. So, I mean, start young, you know, so that's going to transfer into when he's in situations he doesn't want to be in, you know, bubbling out of control. He has skills and ways to be able to regain control, you know, and have more of a choice and have more over, you know, a better choice over what he can do, what he can change. And that will impact the overall outcome or performance.
0: That's powerful. And then what 2017, 2017, so year and a half ago, two years ago, where are you now and what have you been doing since since your time with the Mariners?
1: Yeah. So, you know, working in professional baseball is life crushing or it can be <laughs> <laughs> because I was there every single day of spring training up at four in the morning there till, you know, maybe five, six at night. And then I had to prepare for the next day. So it's, I forget how many days, but, but it's like 50 to 60 straight days without a day off. And then I worked every single day, like all summer long. In at 10, home at midnight. And then I have to write all my notes and whatnot. So you really have to figure out a way, you know, you're talking about the mundane and curiosity and staying fresh and try to figure out ways to be at your best so you can help others. And so I say this because I thought, you know, oh, once I get out of professional baseball, life's going to be slow down a little bit, but it hasn't. I'm, I'm doing a ton of different things. I work for John F. Kennedy for their grad sports psychology graduate program. I've worked with them in National University since 2013, just teaching like a class here and there. But I started teaching at a faster clip last year. So I've taught like 11 classes, 11 different classes in a little over a year, 44 textbooks, you know, or different books and building curriculum. And so you talk about being uncomfortable and just continually working on my own craft. And and it's really stretching me, but I think I'm becoming, I'm, I'm really hitting my stride in my profession. With JFK University, I, also, they asked me to create mindfulness programs. So, I created four, two four-week mindfulness to performance programs, an A and a B, which, you know, was great to dive into the literature and the research and use my Eastern thought and practices because I've been using that practice for my whole life, it seems like. But to be able to, you know, design a curriculum. I work, I created my own performance company and launched it three weeks ago called Mind Gears. And, and so, that's exciting. That's taken a lot of work too because uh, I'm not you know this because I've had you know use you a lot is I'm not all that business savvy so I've had to pair up with smart guys like you who are technologically minded and create partnerships to help you know hey how do you build a website how do you create these different flyers using this different program how do you make yourself marketable? all that kind of stuff so once again just putting myself out on the razor's edge and then I'm also uh, writing a chapter in a book I'm writing a seven piece some articles like it's, a, it's seven piece pieces on mental grit for parents uh, and then just you know uh, trying to give them like article some exercises, some tips, some pointers. Of, you know, video to be able to equip parents to be more equipped and thoughtful when it comes to being a parent, working. You know, and just uh, doing a really nice job. You know, being supportive and being a, a guide for their their young athlete. And then I'm also uh, the mental skills director for Mission Six Zero, which takes and combines special operation forces veterans. You know, Rangers, special forces, Army special forces, uh, Navy SEALs, you name it, we have it. So we take those guys and gals, pair them up with you know, nerds like myself, world of applied performance psychology, and we teach what is called a special forces mindset. So, it's like, it's a program dedicated towards helping people develop mental toughness. The beauty in this is like no other. So, we have like six domains, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, social, and professional. There's experts in every domain. We're paired up with one or two special forces operators. They bring in like the story of no shit, there I was surrounded by by the enemy. And we bring in the science piece. What does that all mean? The so what, now what, and how people can use their experience, you know, it's like I said, some rugged extreme situations to be able to cope operational stress or people just trying to take your life. How can we practice those skills to create our own special forces mindset? So, it's awesome because it's taking theory, you know, and these guys have taken our theory and applied it in, you know, on the battle does theory hold up against reality? So I think it's an amazing company, and
0: I'm looking to do good and great things with them. That's amazing. Sounds like you got a ton of <laughs> ton of projects. No shortage. Okay, so I want to do some rapid fire questions here at the end to wrap up. So you are confined to answering in either one word or one sentence. Sure. Okay. So right now you have multiple projects on the table. Number one, most important mental skill to be able to accomplish uh, something when you have a number of different projects on the table at one time.
1: Yes, connecting with what really matters to me, which is my family. I got to build in, you know, strategic moments in my day to get away from the work, plug in with my family. Those relationships are important, you know, they support me. I get energy from it, it reminds me of why, you know, one of the reasons why I'm doing all of this, and as a result, I can sustain and do just a lot more.
0: Who is the most interesting person you have ever met in your life? Oh, my life.
1: I think one of them, like Nelson Cruz. I, lo- I love that guy. You know, Dominican Republic power hitter. Uh, one of the nicest gentle giants in the game, you know, and he's just so giving, big heart philanthropist, and killer mental skills game, you know, that just speaks volumes. Love that guy. Yeah, he's super interesting.
0: How can we get more people to engage in mental skills training? I mean, that's what we're actively
1: trying to do. You know, I mean, that's all the field is trying to get out there and put this information in kids' hands at a young age, creating programs so that they can, I don't even really, to be honest, like care about performance. Like if that was it, like trying to help. Professional athletes make more money. That's not why I've, I've juiced in the game. It really is, is. Sports is a vehicle, you know, where you, it's through that competitive fire and environment, you can learn how to deal with the toughest game of all, and that's life. And, you know, you go back to suffering. Life is tough. And so what can we do to be able to, you know, live a a better, more satisfying quality life, you know, connecting with other people, helping with other people, feeling satisfied and happy. And sports is the vehicle to try those out, you know, for the game of life. Powerful. And
0: what are you better at today than you were a year ago? I think the technology piece. Cause I, I really, you know, being being a guy
1: that just wanted to be on the field or on the court, I mean, I hated computers. I wasn't, i never really played video games. I didn't want anything to do with it. I like being with people, you know, when it comes to being an extrovert, I'm like on the extended scale. So super social, very interpersonal. I don't want things to take me away from that. And so, you know, I'm not very good when it comes to technology, but uh, through people like yourself and other, you know, just younger people that I mentor, supervise, Or, you know, I have had these great relationships with newbies in the field, you know, neophytes or students that, you know, help me with the technology piece and trying to use my own advice, be curious, be disciplined, you know, it's a big part of being successful today. You know, it's like the Twitter and Facebook and making yourself marketable and, you know, your own website and, you know, I hate doing that stuff, but I I have to to be able to to
0: make it in this field. And then to wrap up, how can people get a hold of you Twitter, Facebook, website. What is it for Mr. Dr. Michael Gerson? If people want to reach out and ask some more questions for you well, on mental performance, sports performance, where are you? What's the best way to reach you?
1: Yeah, and please do. I mean, if you don't want to have a relationship, if you don't want to hire me, I mean, if you just have questions, you know, about our field or ways to get better, this is my life passion. I love talking the intangibles. I love talking sports. I love talking you know, about mental skills uh, and seeing you just really like I said, catapult yourself to a new dimension of performance, you know, personally or professionally or in life. Um, and so, you can get in touch with me. From my website's mindgearspro.com. So, M-I-N-D-G-E-A-R-Z, throwing you a curveball there, pro.com.
0: Dr. Mike Gerson, powerful. Look forward to having you again on soon, my friend, and talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it, Chase. Take care, everybody. All right, Mike. I'm running a little behind here. Let's recap this maybe early next week. Okay. And uh, I'll get all this stuff over for you. And then let's do coffee or something. Yeah, let's do that July. All right. Talk to you soon, Mike. Appreciate you. Yep, you too.